Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I think most of you in here know I am not Pastor Mark. Uh, I am uh, Chase Ellenberg. I am the director of the Young Adult Ministries here. And I'll be filling in for Pastor Mark tonight. He's going to see his son, Austin, who is doing awesome, awesome Austin. And it's just kind of funny how, if you came in and noticed we were having some tech issues and and some other issues going on, it's kind of funny. I've been telling my wife all day that I've just felt kind of burdened with the Word of God today. Is that it's just pressed on me and that's just further confirmation that I know God has something for us tonight. That it's going to be powerful. And it, it might just be for me, but I'm going to get something out of it. I've just been burdened for this word. So Hebrews chapter 11. Now I know who I'm talking to tonight. I'm talking to the Wednesday night crowd. So when I say Hebrews chapter 11, you know what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about faith. Now this church is anchor faith and so we talk about it a good bit. But I believe that God has given me something that is not quite a revelation, but more of a reminder. And so some of us, this might seem like a very simple message, and it works just as much in reminders as he does revelations. So Hebrews chapter 11, we are going to be talking about faith, starting in verse 1. Let's see what we can pull out. I'm in the New Living Translation, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. So here in the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 11, the writer has established a definition for faith. Faith is having an assurance or a confidence, or a belief that something's going to happen that you can't see. That's our working definition, is that faith is something's going to happen that you can't see. Now, the book of Hebrews, I love the book of Hebrews. The, The author spends the first 10 chapters defining who Jesus is. He talks about Jesus being our priest, our high priest, Jesus being the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world, Jesus being our advocate. And then it also talks about who we are, that because Jesus became the high priest, we are now a royal priesthood. It talks about that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because of what Jesus did. Hebrews chapter 11 takes a pause and it goes back to look at examples of people who have had faith in and followed after Christ, and it really leads to a culmination in Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about what do we do now? Now that we know who we are, we know who Jesus is, we know who everyone else was, what do we do now? So we have a definition of faith here at the beginning, and then the writer goes on to demonstrations of faith. So he defines it first, and then he demonstrates it. Jump ahead with me just a few verses to verse 3. This is when the, the, the writer will go on to talk about those demonstrations of faith, and he'll name people. So he'll go on to name some examples. This is considered the hall of faith. So these are hall of faithers. Uh, the first one is who we're, we're going to plant a seed here and, and talk about this first one a little bit. 
verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Now, our Wednesday night crew probably knows all about Abel. You know, he was the second son of Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. Him and his brother Cain presented offerings to God. Abel's was received by God. Cain's was not. Cain gets angry and murders Abel. So what we're going to focus on is the, the next snippet of that verse. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. That's as far as we're getting for, for right now in Hebrews chapter 11. Might seem like a strange spot to stop. Abel is mentioned here as the first example of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The first name specified is Abel. And the word tells us that he still speaks to us even though he's dead. And we're thousands of years later. Now I got to thinking about this. And I wanted to, to think about what are the names that, that he would go on to name in Hebrews chapter 11. And how about the, the, the prominence of their story in the Bible? So if you, if you go on, we're not going to read it, but if you go on, Noah comes next. And if you look in the Bible, Noah's story. Now, I'm not, I'm not withstanding references to Noah, but Noah's core story in the Bible consumes five chapters. Okay, Noah has five chapters in the Bible. That's his story. Okay, so it seems like he belongs in the Hall of Faith. Next on it was mentioned Abraham. Abraham has a whopping 14 chapters of his story. Now, again, I'm not talking about references, just his core story is 14 chapters. It's not bad. Pretty good. Go, go. Father Abraham, who had many sons. Uh, Jacob, one of those uh, grandsons, so to speak, is 13 chapters. He's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, and his core story is 13 chapters. A couple more. Moses is mentioned. Now, Moses... He's a big dog in the Bible. He has over 100 chapters dedicated to his core story. He wrote five books of the, New Te or the Old Testament. The Old Testament. 100 chapters are dedicated to Genesis, or to, excuse me, to Moses. Next, we've got David. David is mentioning Hebrews chapter 11, and we can credit David to a whopping over 200 chapters in the Bible. It's his core story. We're talking the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms. First uh, Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, a lot of the Chronicles, a lot of that goes to David. Over two hundred chapters belong to David. All right, backtracking. Abel, first name mentioned. Abel, his core story. Seven verses. Seven verses is Abel's story, and yet he's the one that's first mentioned. Now I know it goes chronologically, but I think it's also important to note that he is first mentioned. Also kind of important side note that Adam is not mentioned, but Abel is. And it says that Abel still speaks to us by his example of faith. I want to plant a seed there, and we're going to talk about that faith of Abel. We're going to flesh that out a little bit. Matthew chapter 8. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8 is where we're going to be for a while. Now, I would still hold your finger in Hebrews chapter 11 because we'll be back. But we're going to flip-flop between Matthew chapter 8 and Hebrews 11. As you're turning there, I want to tell you a story. I um, <clears throat> Now, speaking about faith and all of this, there's a more common word, I think, 
that, that, that we can replace faith with in some instances. Faith is kind of that churchy spiritual word. In, in the world, in more common language would be expectation. That if you expect something to happen, that means you believe it without seeing it yet. So expectation. Now, I'll tell you that to, to tell you my story. When I was in college, I was, a, um, I was a sophomore in college. I moved out west to work at a Christian summer camp in Nevada. And the, the name of the camp was Cowboys Rest. And it sounded, it, it's just like it sounds. We were in the boondocks of the boondocks in the mountains of Nevada. I mean, it's desert. Uh, no cell phone service, no phones, no TV, no internet, nothing. I mean, driving up there, I swear I saw an armadillo wearing a cowboy hat playing a banjo. Like, we are just in the middle of the boondocks at Cowboys Rest. And I loved it. I loved it out there. I actually... I got sent out there. I was recommended by my former, um, my former worship pastor to go out there and, and wire in their sound system. Now, I need to make a, a pack with you guys, okay? I, there was a time when I used to wire in sound systems. I knew a lot about sound systems, sound boards, and stuff like that. So I got hired out there to do that. Do not tell Pastor Mark that, please. Okay, I have kept that a little secret because I, I love these guys back here. You guys don't get enough credit. I don't like being the guy in the booth. Okay, so <laughs> don't tell Pastor Mark that, but I went out there to work on their sound system, and they brought a brown, brand new sound system and, and to, to, to um, wire that in. So I'm out there, and I got tired of being in the booth. This was a whole summer camp. So I convinced them somehow to let me, near the end of, the, of the, my time there, to let me be a camp counselor. And so I got to get away from the booth, and I spent a couple of weeks being a camp counselor. I don't know what I was thinking, and I don't know what they were thinking, let me do it. But my first, my first time was I had a group of 11 middle school boys. 11 middle school boys for a week. Some, some, of, you, some of you are praying for me. I feel you now. 11 middle school boys for a week, and we were in our little... TP, wigwam, whatever it was, and, and I mean, we did the games and the flags, and if you know about summer camp, you know what I mean. I mean, it was what you think. Now, I want to tell you about one boy because I only remember the name of one of those boys. I don't remember all of them. It's been, it's been several years. But one boy, his name was Dalen Hoff. Now, let me tell you about Dalen. This was my first time as a counselor. My first time that they let me out of that booth, out of, out of the bunker in the back. And Dalen is one of my, he's in, he's in my troop. We were the cougars. <laughs> and he was one of my cougars. And he comes up to me, and this is a scrawny 10-year-old boy. He's got brown hair to his shoulders, black glasses, looks really smart. He is really smart. He's very logical. He's very analytical, and he comes up to me, and he tells me straight up. He says, let me tell you something. This is what he says to me. He says, let me tell you something. I don't believe in this Christian garbage, and I don't expect, I remember he used the word expect to receive anything from you. That's what Dalen Hoff told me, and I said, well, okay, <laughs> Okay, I'm in college. I don't know what to say to that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay, well, have a good time. <laughs> I 
I'll see you at the games. <laughs> Ooh, go Cougars. <laughs> and uh, he tells me that I don't expect to see it, to, to get anything out of this Christian garbage. My mom made me come. That's what he said. My mom made me come. Now, Dalen did not expect to receive anything. Expectation, if we go back using it as a replacement word for faith, is believing something that you don't see. Dalen did not have expectation for that trip. He did not have expectation for that time period. Matthew chapter 8, we see a different type of expectation. We actually see two different types is where we're going to camp for a little while. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down from the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the, le the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. We're going to stop here. We see that this man comes to Jesus with an expectation. He comes to Jesus with faith that he expects Jesus to heal him. Now, we're going to break this down a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm a lit teacher, but we're going to break it down a little bit. I'm going to get a little bit lit, literary on you. There's three things that you can look at if you want to break down a story, a text. You want to look at characters, conflict, and theme. So the characters of this story are pretty obvious. We've got Jesus, and we've got the leper. We've got Jesus, and we've got a man who needs healing. So I won't, I won't harp on that. That's our characters. Our conflict would be a man with an incurable disease. At that time, leprosy did not have a cure, and so it was basically a death sentence that you had to go and live in your, your commune. But we have this man who had an unhealable disease. Now, Jesus had just delivered the Sermon on the Mount, so that's kind of our context. He's just delivered the Sermon on the Mount, and that leper, it's most likely that he had just heard some of those major points, some of those things that Jesus said, such as, don't worry about your body. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. The leper probably heard that. So he approaches Jesus right after the Sermon on the Mount and he's asking. He has the expectation that you can heal me. Now, leprosy as a disease, this is our conflict. He has that unhealable sickness. Is It's really kind of a twofold sickness. Leprosy is a sickness of the body where he would get rashes and sores and spots on him. But it's also a sickness of status. Meaning because he has this in his physical body, he can no longer live at home with his family. He can no longer have a job. He can no longer attend the synagogue, go to the temple. So not only is it sickness of the body, but it's sickness of status. This man is of a lower status now because of leprosy. That didn't stop his expectation. <clears throat> now, theme. Here's where we're going to take a little bit of turn. I'm going to say some things you might not expect. The theme of this story is inspection. We see in every part of this story inspection. Now what I mean by that is that this man 
comes to Jesus with a disease that's not always obvious. Leprosy was the type of disease that could be hidden. If it was in some spots, it could be covered by a cloth or a bandage. Let's think about Naaman in the Old Testament, who was a a general who hid his leprosy before getting healed of it. So this man has a disease that in order to find it, you have to inspect. He probably found it by inspecting his body. Notice how Jesus deals with this disease. He has to go and touch the man, a level of inspection. He approaches him and he touches him. And then even thereafter, when the disease is healed, what does Jesus tell him to do? Go and let the high priest inspect you. So a theme in this type of expectation, this type of faith is inspection. Every part of it is inspection. Keep that in your mind as we keep on going. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, now this is right after healing the leper, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home. Because you believed, it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. We see a second story here, a second healing. And on the surface level, it looks like kind of like the same thing. So let's do our little lit analysis. Characters, conflict, and theme. Our characters, very similar. Jesus, common denominator. We've got a man who needs healing. In this case, it's the servant. But then this story has a third man, a third character, which is our centurion, acting as our mediator, acting as our middleman. Our conflict is pretty much the same. We have uh, someone that needs healing, someone who's sick. Now, this is also a sickness of the body and a sickness of status, meaning that the servant had a sickness that affected him physically, and that also affected his status because if you can't walk, then he probably couldn't do his servant duties. He couldn't work. The disease is different than our first one. As I told you, leprosy is a disease that in many cases could be hidden. Our second story, paralysis. Paralysis cannot be hidden. Paralysis, it's hard to hide that. It's hard to hide if if you can't walk. It's hard to hide if you can't move. So it's different that it can't be seen to the most obvious observers. It can't be hidden like the leprosy. So our theme in this one 
The theme for the first story was inspection, remember? Inspection. Meaning that our, our, our man who had leprosy needed to be inspected all throughout there. Our second man, our theme is expectation. That's what our Roman centurion comes to him with is expectation. That Jesus can do something. Now remember, that's our replacement word for faith. Faith is believing something that you haven't seen yet. Now, what I want to set up here and really flesh out is that these two stories are binaries of faith. The first one, the leper needed to see and touch Jesus. Think about how he was healed. Now, we see throughout Scripture that Jesus often tells his recipients, your faith has made you well. So I think we've established, if you've been going to Anchor Faith for any time period, that really when you receive healing or blessing from God, it's your level of faith that's connecting to God's power. So I would, I would argue tonight that Jesus had to touch and see the man because that's where the man was at. That was the level of the faith that the man had. Was he needed Jesus to come to him and physically touch him, which was a big no-no in that culture. The man was considered unclean, and you're not supposed to touch him. So in part, Jesus does it to be an example to his disciples, to break those traditional pharisaical laws. But I believe he also did it because that's what the man needed, where he was at. He needed that touch from Jesus. Now, I don't want to discount this man's faith. It might sound like I'm going to discount it. I don't want to do that because the man still received his healing. He still had faith. And there have been many stalwarts of faith throughout the Bible who needed inspection. I think about Thomas, Thomas the doubter, who said, I'll believe that Jesus rose from the dead when I can touch the holes in his hands and see the hole in his side. There have been stalwarts of faith who needed that inspection. But it's also interesting to know that this leper would go on to not listen to Jesus. This story is also told in Mark chapter 2. And Jesus tells the man, hey, go get inspected by the priest, but don't tell anybody about this. Mark chapter 2 tells us that the man didn't listen. He goes into the town and tells everybody about Jesus, and he hinders Jesus' ministry. I think that's interesting to note. That this man does have faith. I don't want to discredit that. But it's not the faith of the next guy. The next story that we read about the centurion, he did not need to see, he did not need Jesus to see or touch anything. Jesus said, I'm going to come to your house, I'm going to heal your servant. And Jesus stops him. Who in their right mind stops a healing? You know, if I need it and Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to come do it, I'm not saying, oh, let me try to talk you out of it. I mean, come on, what's that guy been smoking? You don't stop Jesus, but he does. He does. That's the faith that Jesus marvels at. And just think about this. The servant is who he did it for. And I'll get to that in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. This is the man that Jesus marveled at his faith. And Jesus crowns this guy a Roman, secular, worldly soldier crowns this guy as having more faith than anybody that he's met yet. 
Now let's think for a second the people that Jesus has met. John the Baptist, does that ring a bell? The man who was the second coming of Elijah, who looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus had met him. Jesus knew the guy. Roman centurion has more faith than him. The disciples? Peter and Andrew leaving their fishing business. James and John leaving their dad in the boat. Now again, I'm not discounting their faith. That was faith. But Jesus says the Roman centurion has more faith than anybody that he's met. More faith than the disciples. More faith than the leper that he had just met. The leper that had just been healed. So what's the difference? What's the difference between these two men? I'm going to call it the faith of Abel. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Why is Abel mentioned? Because his faith outlasted him. His faith went beyond him. The Bible tells us that Abel's faith still speaks to us today. This is the difference between faith and great faith. The leper had faith. The centurion had great faith. The difference is that the centurion had enough faith for himself and someone else. The leper had enough faith for himself, but the centurion has enough faith for himself and someone else. Because think, that servant that's paralyzed up in that bed, do you think he was expecting anything? He's not expecting anything at all. I mean, in this culture... If you're a Roman centurion, you are over a legion of soldiers, you got a sick servant, get a different servant. Simple as that. You don't try to heal the guy. You don't go out of your way to talk to a Jew who the Romans considered to be low and dogs. You just get a different servant. Not this centurion. The centurion sought out Jesus and brought an offering of an offering of faith that was enough for two men. He brought an offering of faith to Jesus that was enough for two men. That's great faith. Verse 10, Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus says something that's phenomenal. When Jesus heard this, when he heard the centurion's explanation about why Jesus could just speak it and it happened. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I'll tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Great faith can be seen. Great faith can be seen. Remember, our, our situations. Leprosy, excuse me, leprosy was a disease that you could hide. You could keep it kind of to yourself, just like the leper kept his faith to himself. Again, I'm not discounting that. The leper had faith, but the centurion's faith could not be hidden. The centurion's faith broke out beyond himself, and it could be seen. That's not the first time Jesus says that. Jesus marvels in Luke chapter 5 about the four friends who lowered 
They're paralyzed, again, paralyzed connection. Paralyzed man through the roof. And Jesus looks up and says, seeing their faith. The Bible, the word says, seeing their faith. Great faith is faith that can be seen. Faith that can be seen. There are many examples all throughout the word of people who did not have this kind of faith. They had a different kind of faith. Mary and Martha, after Lazarus' death in John 11, they didn't quite have that kind of faith. Both of them tell Jesus the same thing. Jesus had been away. They sent word to him that Lazarus is sick. Come heal him. Jesus Jesus kind of hangs around. When he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Mary and Martha both say, Jesus, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. What they're saying is that Jesus, if you had come, your power could have connected with Lazarus's faith and you could have healed him. What they're also essentially saying is that we don't have enough faith for Lazarus. We don't have enough faith that could extend beyond ourselves and, and go over to our brother. Because Jesus' power was there, obviously. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Think about the disciples. Matthew chapter 17, we take a little bit of a side note. Matthew chapter 17, we see this same thing. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people. Who's he talking to? The disciples. He turns to them and he says, you faithless people. Because a man brought them a a sick boy and they couldn't do anything about it. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? Verse 20, you don't have enough faith. The disciples did not have enough faith for themselves and the demon-possessed boy. Now, they would later develop that kind of faith. Peter would later develop the kind of faith that could heal people, that could go beyond himself. James and John would later develop that kind of faith, and that just strengthens the point that faith is a muscle that has to be used and strengthened. Muscles don't just grow and get toned by accident. They would later develop that, but they didn't have it at that time. So, overall, I'm I'm bringing to a point. What I'm saying is in our life, we can think about two types of faith. The first one is personal. And we need to have that. Again, I do not want to sound like I am just throwing out that leper in the wind and saying he's a piece of garbage who should have had more faith. He got his healing. He had personal faith, and we need to have that. I'm here to charge that we need to have personal faith projects. We need to have things that we are believing God for in our personal life. They need to be written. You need to put them up on your bathroom mirror, on your refrigerator, at your job, in your car. We need to have personal faith projects. It could be a home. It could be healing in your body. 
It could be for finances. It could be for your marriage. We need to have personal faith projects. But we cannot stop there. If we want great faith, we also need to have peripheral faith projects. We've got projects for ourselves, but guys, we got to have faith projects for someone else. We got to be believing something for someone else who does not have the expectation for themselves. That servant did not expect anything. But that Roman centurion had peripheral faith that extended beyond himself and to that servant. We got to have those kind of faith projects too. And they cannot be any less. They need to be written, they need to be posted. We need to have peripheral faith projects for other people. Real quick, I got three ways that we can do that. Three steps to growing the kind of faith that Jesus will marvel at. I'm going to stick with the P's for a little while. First one is pray. Told you it was going to be simple. Pray. Pray. We've got to be praying over our faith projects. That's for ourselves personally, but that's also for others peripherally. We have to pray. If we look in the Word, in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 8, the centurion pleads with Jesus. That's the first thing the centurion did, is he pleaded. Some translations say he implored Jesus. He was praying. He was praying for his servant. He pleaded with Jesus. And we see this throughout Scripture. I just told you the story about the disciples who couldn't uh, heal the demon boy. Mark chapter 9, that story gets fleshed out a little bit. Mark chapter 9. I won't read the whole story because it's the same thing from Matthew, but there's a, two, there's a few areas that Mark extends upon. That Mark, uh, he, he gives us a little bit more. Mark chapter 9, verse 24. The dad... Jesus just gets through saying in verse 23 that anything is possible if you believe. And the dad says, the father instantly cried out, verse 24, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What that dad is saying is I have personal faith, Jesus. If this was me, I would believe you for it. But help me because I might not have peripheral faith. I might not have enough faith for me and my boy. So the dad needed to grow in that area. But then look later on in the story. We're skipping down to verse Oh, where are we? Verse 28. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Matthew, he said, because you didn't have enough faith. Mark, it extends upon that a little bit, and Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. If you want to have strong faith, great faith that Jesus marvels at, you got to pray. You got to pray. Prayer builds Number two, first we have to pray if we want that kind of faith. Number two, we have to persist. We have to persist. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 8, it tells us that the Roman centurion pushed through a large crowd. Jesus had come down from the Sermon on the Mount. That's the biggest sermon he ever gave in his ministry. The biggest sermon he ever gave in his lifetime. There were tons of people there. There were tons of people there. And that Roman centurion pushes through the crowd. He was persistent. 
he could have got there and it been like a backed-up Zacadoo's drive through line, and you're just like, I'm going to go to McDonald's. You know, I'm going to go somewhere else. But no. He persists, goes through the crowd. We have to be that same way. We have to be that same way. My grandfather, I believe, does not know Christ. I'm very close to him. He's 89 years old. I've been praying for him for probably 20, 21 years of my life. I wish that I could tell you that I was more persistent and that I did it every day. But that would not be true. So we got to get the persist. I have to get the persist. Yes, we have to pray. But if we want great faith, we can't stop praying. We got to keep praying. We got to persist. Step number three. If we want great faith, we have to pray, we have to persist, and we have to specify. You thought that was going to start with P, didn't you? <laughs> Sometimes anomalies, anomalies stick in our head more than patterns. PPS. You remember that, right? PPS. Pray, persist, and specify. Notice that our centurion is very, very, very specific. Verses 8 through 9, he tells Jesus what Jesus can do. Now, I am not here to tell you that God's going to do it the way that you tell him to do it every time because that's not the case. God does not operate how we tell him to. But I am telling, to, telling you that your faith projects need to be specific. He tells Jesus, you don't have to see him, you don't have to touch him. If you say it, it'll happen. And Jesus marvels because it's specific. That's great faith. So our faith projects for other people doesn't need to be, God, please bless Uncle Bill. That's not good enough, guys. It's got to be specific. God, please give Uncle Bill that house that he's always wanted. I stand in faith for Uncle Bill to receive that. The one on the corner of Cherry Street. Let's be specific, okay? Let's be specific with our peripheral faith for others. Let's specify, because that honors God. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us this. Hebrews chapter 11, we're flipping back there. Verse 13. It goes on and it gives some of these names, such as Abel, Noah, Abraham. Verse 13, it tells us, all these people died. All these people died, still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. That's the type of faith the centurion had. It was in his mind before it was in his mouth. He saw it. Pastor Mark said this. I love it. He saw it before he saw it. Our faith has got to be specific in a way that we see it before we see it. We see it before we say it. It's got to be in our mind before our mouth. That is specific peripheral prayer. Specific peripheral So my major 
point, what I want, my heart for us tonight, is to have that faith of Abel. That it's faith that goes beyond us. And church, our society needs this now more than ever. Our society needs us to be, needs us to be people that have faith for people. I'm not going to get political, so I'm not going to tell you that you need to have faith in anyone. I am not here to tell you that you need to have faith in our president, but you absolutely need to have faith for our president. I am not here to tell you that you have to have faith in our country, but you need to have faith for our country. I'm not here to say that we need to have faith in our law enforcement, Guys, we got to have faith for them. Because I know that there are bad police officers, but I know that there are good ones too. And we got to have faith for them. And the same goes on the flip side. You may not believe that this country has, is a place of oppression and racial prejudice, but it is in some instances. And we got to have faith for those that are oppressed. We got to have faith for those that have, that have experienced horrible, horrible prejudices we got to have faith for these people. That's peripheral faith. Peripheral faith, faith is great faith. That's what makes Jesus marvel. Can I, can I tell you about Dalen, about how that story ended up? Can I remember Dalen Hoff, my little, my little, my little, little man, said, I don't believe in your garbage. You suck. I wasn't bald then. He would have called me bald if I would have been bald. I wasn't bald then. I had some hair. But Dalen, it was a week-long camp. So I had him for a few days. And that night, that first night, I submitted his name to the camp, camp, the camp board, the camp director, assistant director, and all that, because they had a list of, of people that, that we felt the Spirit kind of press upon us for them to pray for for them to have expectation for. Last night at camp, been with him, his little aggravating self, for four or five days. Dalen came up to me and Dalen said, you know, I think I'm nearly ready to accept Christ as my Lord. Dalen came to that camp with zero expectation. And I'm not telling you it was all me, because Lord knows it was not. It was the people that were praying for him and pouring into him. But there was people that had expectation for him that he did not have for himself. That's what the centurion had. He had faith enough for himself and someone else. That's what we've got to have. That's what we've got to have. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.